Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through His Word, and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Acts chapter 27. Um, if, for those of you who haven't been with us, we are now reaching in some ways the, I would say we're reaching the climax of the story of the end of Acts, but in some ways we're actually on the, a little bit of the downhill slope. The, the story of the last end of the book of Acts has been about the Apostle Paul and his desire to go to Rome, uh, but first to go to Jerusalem where he knew there was going to be trouble. And in fact, he was attacked by a mob in Jerusalem. He almost lost his life at several points. He was rescued by Roman soldiers. And then we've been seeing this grind through the Roman legal system as Paul first stands before the Jewish council and it turns into a riot, then before one Roman governor, before another Roman governor, before the King Agrippa. At every point, Paul, his innocence is shown, but he doesn't get free. And now we have in some ways passed the climax. The climactic moment came a few chapters ago when Paul appealed to Caesar using his rights as a Roman citizen. And so we've known since then that Paul is on his way to Rome, but he still hasn't gotten there. And there is, it, 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 it's important to realize as we read this that Paul has been going through this. You may feel like we've been going through this in a long time on Sunday mornings for like, you know, the past month or six weeks. But Paul has been going through this for more than two years. We know that after he was heard by the governor Felix, the Roman governor, he was left in prison for two years. So it's been two years, probably three years, that Paul has been a Roman prisoner still seeking to get to Rome where he knows God has called him to preach the gospel. That's what God told him. He said, you must preach the gospel in Rome just as you have throughout the Mediterranean. So if you feel tired this morning, if you feel like life just keeps coming, that it's been a long road and then there's just more hits and then a storm and then another storm. Some people, you know, may feel that way about 2020. Just, just kind of the way it is. And this is really the way it was for Paul, too. So hear God's word this morning from Acts 27. And as God sustains Paul here, we can see that God will also sustain us. Let's read. Acts 27, we'll be reading the whole chapter. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitum, uh, which was to sail about to, about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia, there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus, as the wind did not allow us to go farther. We sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, 
the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck, stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your protection of Paul and his shipmates so long ago. We thank you that it was written down for us. And now, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us by your word, that we may see what this means for us today, that it may not merely be a seafaring tale, not merely information for our heads, but truly transformation for our hearts that may change the way that we think, the way that we feel, and the way that we live. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to resurrection, or even if you've been around a while, you may not be aware that there are at least, I may, there may be others, but there are at least four very serious power lifters in our church. Four in a not very big church. So power lifting is like a thing here. If you're interested, there's lots of people who could help you. Now, I first became aware of powerlifting. I didn't really know much about it when my wife, who's one of those four, uh, got into it now about like, two years ago now, two and a half years ago. She's been at it for a little while. And so I started to learn about powerlifting. And one of the things about powerlifting that when most people hear powerlifting, those of you who don't know much about are probably thinking of really big, bulky people with really puffy muscles. And the powerlifters here will be quick to tell you that that's not really what it's about, that the big puffy muscles, what most of us see as signs of strength, are not really where the strength of powerlifting comes from. Now, they do have muscles, don't, don't get me wrong. If you look around and think about it, you might well be able to pick out some of the powerlifters. But it's not just about big puffy muscles. It's about technique and form and practice and diet and, you know, strength building muscles. That, that does help. It does matter. All these things play into it. But it's not always what you think of as strength. And when we look at this passage in Acts 27 this morning, what we see is a lot of talk about strength. We see a lot of strength. And we see a lot of strength that is opposed to Paul. We see the strength of a storm. All this talk about the storm driving them and the ship failing to go and how they get driven along. And we see some other strength as well. We see, I mean, keep in mind here who's, who's in charge of this ship. It is the Roman Empire. That should be strength. It's strength that is failing in this case. The Roman Empire, the Roman centurion, is no match for the storm, is no match for the trials of trying to sail across the Mediterranean 2,000 years ago in late fall. They could probably pull it off today but they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it then. It did not work. But the ultimate strength here, the ultimate strength we see time and again in Acts, and we see it here again, is the strength of God. That is the message. The message of Acts for us this morning is that whatever strength we may see, that God's strength is greater. That God's strength overcomes all the things that seem like they would stop God's plan. God's plan has been set out clearly. Paul is to go to Rome. That is the destination. And God makes it very clear that he will make that happen. Here, once again, when, Paul se when it seems like all is lost, when the ship is being driven along, Paul appears and says, Last night, an angel of the Lord stood before me and said, You will go and preach in Rome. And so... I know it will happen. I have faith. And God said, all of you will be saved as well. Just as it happened before when Paul was being held in the face of Jewish leaders, rioting, stirring up mobs against him, an angel of the Lord stood by him and gave him strength. Gave him strength. Time and again, we see that God's strength overcomes all obstacles. And so the question then is, what does it mean for us? If we see God's strength, what, where does that leave us? And as we look here and we see the, the failing of the Roman strength, the failing of the Roman Empire to bring Paul safely to Rome, 
we see that rather than looking for our own strength or our own cleverness when we confront all these obstacles around us, we need to turn to God's strength. If the encouragement this morning of God's word is that his strength overcomes all obstacles to accomplish his mission, his call to us, his command to us is to rely on his strength and to seek his strength. And as we see here, we can see three different obstacles that God's strength overcomes. And we see these obstacles not only in Acts, we see these obstacles in our own lives. And conveniently, all the obstacles that God's strength over, overcomes here, they all start with S. It's amazing how that happens. So God's strength here we see, God's strength overcomes storms, God's strength overcomes stupidity, and God's strength overcomes even our selfishness. So as we see that, we see that here, we can see that for ourselves. So let's see where God's strength first overcomes the storms. That's really the, the big thing here is the storm. And Luke, you may wonder, like, man, Luke, Luke's the author of Acts. And he was here. Like, that's why he's saying we. He was on this boat with Paul. So maybe that's why he included all these details. As, as I read it, you might have been like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I needed to know exactly which island they passed by at every point. But... Luke was there, and so he wrote it down. And also, I think Luke writes it down to emphasize the power of this storm. We see that time and again in the way that he's talking about it. We see in verse 4, putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. First problem. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty as the wind did not allow us to go further. Verse 14, Soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. We've got strength here. Verse 18, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Uh, verse 18, verse 20, neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us. Verse 27, when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. And then finally in verse 41, they think they've made it, but the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. With all the detail that Luke puts in, we can see the power of the storm. This is no, this is no rain like we're experiencing today. Like, yeah, there's some rain, it's a little bit of wind, but this, this is no problem. This is a storm. This is a storm of, of power, and yet... As Luke emphasizes the power of the storm and the, the failure of the Roman leadership to make it through this storm, the failure of the sailors to get through the storm, he also emphasizes that it's God's strength that is still overcoming the storm. We see it especially in verse 24, when the angel comes, do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. It's quite the bold statement when they're being driven across the sea for 14 days, seeing neither sun nor stars. And then again at the very end, verse 44, the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship, and so it was that all were brought safely to land. I mean, let's, let's think about that for a minute. That's crazy. Like, when you, it, it's one of those things you see in movies, and then you say, yeah, movies don't happen, like, life doesn't happen that way. You've got the ship out there being broken apart by the surf. The waves are so powerful, they are broken apart by the surf. And the centurion 
276 people on this ship. Like, not just a few. 276 of the centurions like, yeah, just, just jump in the Swim if you can. Or, you know, as the ship gets broken apart, grab a piece of it, and it'll take you to land. That, that does not happen. The only way that that can happen is as a testimony that God really is in charge, that God's strength really overcomes the storm. And so, so often with, with all of our modern abilities and modern technology, we think that we are in control. We think that we can handle anything. We think we can build shelters to keep the rain off. And yet even in our modern world, sometimes we see the power of God in storms that bring things to a standstill. It was back at the beginning of August that uh, there was a, a, a Tuesday afternoon, Monday, Monday, Tuesday afternoon, something like that. And uh, Suzanne had the, our, two of our boys off at piano practice in Kempsville. I was at our house in Red Mill. It was about 12, in the after, uh, 12 noon, going to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And the sky starts to get dark, and then rain starts falling. It's like, okay, it's raining. And um, then I look out at our pool, and it's gone up like this much. And that doesn't really happen. It was nearing the edge. And then I look out in our driveway, and there's like a puddle across the front of the driveway. And that, that happens sometimes. And I kind of walked out there, and it was up to like my ankle. It's like, that's, that's kind of deep. And I called Suzanne. I was like, hey, is it raining in Kempsville? Like, you might want to just stay there. She's like, well, it's supposed to rain all afternoon, so I think I'll just I'll drive carefully. I'll come on home. It's like, all right, well, call me if there's a problem. So she starts driving home, and it just keeps raining. And the water is coming up our driveway. And I look out in our cul-de-sac, and it's like full of water. And I go out there again with the umbrella, and now it's like shin deep and like knee deep. And I call her again, and I'm like, you're not going to get in the neighborhood. This is not going to work. So she parks outside our neighborhood in a shopping center. I walk out there with an umbrella to get her, and I wade through thigh-deep water in our neighborhood because that's what had happened. Our neighborhood completely flooded in the space of about two hours of rain. It was completely impassable. There was nothing we could do. There was nothing anybody could do other than put a canoe in it, which some people did. But it was just an amazing picture of the power of God. There was no way we could stop this. Within two hours, the neighborhood was completely underwater and impassable. And all we could do is wait. And yet, by 7 o'clock that night, the water was gone, just like that. I'd never, I'd never really experienced flash flooding before. If you've never experienced flash flooding, it's, it's crazy. But it's a testimony to the power of God. Of course, we see, we've seen it in, in slow motion over the past six months as the power of God, the power of, of the storm, has shut down the entire world through this pandemic. And we have become so much more aware of our frailty in the face of that. And so the question then is, we can, we can look at God's word and we can know intellectually, we, you know, I was even just calling these floods the power of God, that God controls the storm. So we can say, well, yes, if God controls these things, God has power over them. It's, we can affirm that, we can believe it, but what do we do with that? What do we do if I say that the point of this for us is that we must seek his strength? What does it look like for us to seek his strength in the midst of the storm, whether a physical storm, whether a storm of sickness and viruses, whether a storm of other kinds of just uncertainty 
or trouble of all kinds, whatever storm we find ourselves. And one of the ways that we, look, we seek God's strength in the midst of his storm is we look to see what God is doing in the midst of it. What is God teaching us in the midst of it? Yes, it is absolutely right to pray that God would take the storm away, to pray that God would end this pandemic, would return us to normal. At the same time, if we're really seeking his strength and his change in our life, seeking to be his people, then we have to ask God, what do you want us to learn? What do we need to change? And many of us are seeing in this time of trial, for most of us, for us as a, as a community, as a nation, as a world, we're seeing our own frailty, the own uncertainty, a need for more humility to say what we are going to do or not do. We see more the truth of what the Bible says elsewhere, that we say, if it be the Lord's will, we will go this day to, do, to buy and sell and do this or that. We see our own frailty in that. We see our own lack of power. We see our own need for connection and community. The things that come so easily. Some of us are seeing, you know what? I wish I, wish I had better relationships. I wish I had more community. And so as we seek to learn from God, we turn to him in humility. We turn to him for help when we have needs. Instead of saying, oh, I can fix this. I can handle the weather. I can handle the rain. I can handle the sickness. We say, God, we need your help. God, I need your community. I need, you. I need more of you in my life. I need more of your people in my life. So that when I see these storms, I have people around me to walk with me. There may be nothing that anybody can actually do, but having people with you is such a comfort in the midst of the storm. And it's one of the ways that we see God's strength overcoming those storms is the people he gives us to walk through them with. And you may say, all right, God's strength, storms, yeah, I get that. It's nature. God controls nature. We all understand that. But there's more here. We see God's strength here not just over the storm, but even over stupidity. I was originally going to say it was over bad decisions, but, you know, I needed the S. So God's, God's strength over stupidity. And where is the stupidity here? We see it in verse 10. Paul, Paul, you know, Paul doesn't really have a lot to say here. He is a prisoner, but still Paul's a bold guy, so he speaks up. Uh, verse 9, it was, the voyage was dangerous because the fast was already over. The fast there is the day of Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday, which actually took place was last Saturday, I think, for us. So it was about this time. It was past the fast. This time when, you know, winter's coming and storms get bad. It's not a good time to be sailing. And Paul's like, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Let's stop. Verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Bad decision. Now, we can understand it. You know, they said the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, but it was still a bad decision. And, you know, the, the authoritative judgment of God in verse 9, the voyage was now dangerous, um, that this was the wrong decision. This was stupid for them to go on. And the results bear that out. The Northeaster comes and they're driven along. Even the emphasis on how much trouble they were having already sets up that this was a bad decision. And Paul, um, Paul mentions it. He doesn't, he doesn't forget it. In verse 21, he says, men, you should have listened to me and not set sail from Crete and in, incurred this injury and loss. Our decisions have consequences. 
it, there are real consequences. This voyage was miserable. Even though they were all preserved at the end, at this voyage, they got to shore on planks of the ship. They went 14 days without food, being driven across the sea. I've never experienced anything like this. I really hope that none of you have ever experienced anything like this. There were real consequences for their stupidity. But ultimately, the message here is still that God's strength overcomes even our stupidity. So this morning, if you're, if you're thinking, man, I have made some poor decisions. Or even if you're not thinking about yourself, if you're thinking about other people that have authority over you, and you're thinking, man, some other people have made some poor decisions. There have been a lot of poor decision-making going on, and it is hurting me. The Bible does not make light of that. The Bible does not try to negate that and say, oh, well, everything's going to be fine. But it does say that God's strength overcomes our stupidity. God's strength overcomes the stupidity of others. So this morning, whether you're suffering from bad decisions that you have made, or whether you're afflicted by bad decisions that other people have made that are causing you harm, that are causing you frustration, the encouragement of God's word for you is that his strength will overcome those things. So what do we do with that? One, it's a source of great comfort. We can find hope in that. We can, we, we can not be beaten down. We cannot go give in to despair at the bad decisions that other people made or at the bad decisions that we've made. But the other thing that's important, the call for us this morning in terms of action, is don't, don't double down on stupidity. If you've made bad decisions, don't just keep up with them. And it's so tempting. I know this, this happens to me all the time, and I'm sure this has happened to you as well. There's something, there's something that needs to be done. It may be a project at work. It may be a project around the house. And for whatever reason, you put it off and you put it and you don't do it. And there's probably some kind of deadline attached to this. And somebody, you know, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband, starts asking you like, hey, how's that, how's that project going? And this is the point where you're supposed to say, you know what? I've made some bad choices, and it's behind, and I need some help. But instead, you say, I've got it all under control. And then it just gets closer and closer. And now I see husbands and wives looking at each other, and that's how it always goes here, right? And so, um, and it gets closer and closer, and it never ends well, right? You're like, I can do this, I can do this. And then somehow, sometimes you make it, and you get the false hope that you can do this again the next time you're running behind. But sometimes it all falls apart and that you have to admit that now things are even worse. If you admitted your bad decisions a few days, hours, weeks earlier, whatever the case may be, people could have helped you. It could have gone better. So don't, don't double down. Instead, just admit it. Sometimes there'll be pain. Sometimes you may have to hear Paul say, yeah, you should have listened to me. Such is life. But the promise of God is that his strength will overcome even our stupidity. We know that it is better for things to be brought into the light. Things that are not, uh, things that we just, things that, you know, something dirty and wet and you just shove it in the darkness. What happens? It gets moldy and smelly. Better to bring that out into the light. Let the light air it out. Accept the grace of God for you. The overwhelming message here in Acts is one of grace. 
that God shows grace to Paul. God shows grace to the Roman soldiers. God shows grace to the sailors of this ship. He preserves their lives. If he showed grace for them, he will show grace to you, even if you have made bad decisions. You can admit them, and you can trust that God's strength will overcome even our own stupidity. But it gets better. God's grace gets even better here because it's not just bad decisions. It's not just stupidity. It's even our selfishness. God's strength overcomes our selfishness. We see this most clearly at the end where the selfishness comes in. Uh, it's verse, uh, verse 30. Verse 30. As, and the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship. No, 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 sailors. You do not try to get out here on your own. That's selfishness. It's understandable selfishness, but it's still selfishness. They have a responsibility to the ship and to the passengers. And Paul will have none of it. He says, nope, without these men, we cannot be saved. And so the centurion, the soldier says, yep, cut the ropes and the boat is gone. There will be no selfishness. There will be nobody trying to save themselves. We are all in this together. It happens again in verse 42. Now the soldiers who had prevented the sailors' selfishness, now the soldiers have a bit of their selfishness of their own. We don't want to get in trouble about these prisoners, so let's kill them, lest they escape. I mean, really, like, that's not really the concern right now, but that was their concern, and, you know, there were, that was their job, was to keep the prisoners from escaping. But it was still selfish on their part. Let's just kill them instead of trying to protect them and bring them on to Rome. The centurion says, no, we're not doing this. Everybody is going to shore. God's strength overcomes their selfishness. And so this morning, if you have been hurt by the selfishness of others, know that God's strength can overcome that. God's strength can give you the power to forgive. God's strength can bring healing and reconciliation, even where there has been hurt and selfishness. God's strength can rescue the, you this morning. And this morning, if you, it's not that you've been hurt by the selfishness of others, but you know that you have been selfish toward others. You have been selfish with your time, selfish with your money, selfish in the way that you've treated people. This morning, God says there is grace. There is grace for you. There is grace even for those who are selfish. God did not just save his righteous servant, Paul. He saved every person on that ship. He saved the other prisoners who very likely had done things wrong. It is doubtful they were all innocent as Paul was. He saved the sailors who tried to get away. He saved the owner and pilot of the ship who made the decision and said, oh, we can make this. He saved the soldiers who threatened to kill the prisoners unjustly. He saved them all. God saves those who are selfish. He offers grace to all of them. He offers grace to all who turn to him. So this morning, if you are feeling your own selfishness and you know you've disobeyed, you've been looking out for yourself, God offers the chance to repent and to turn. He offers his grace freely. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin. For he lived the perfect, unselfish life. And then he went to the cross and died. That your selfishness, the selfishness that has hurt you from other people, all of those sins can be paid for, can be forgiven, can be forgiven by God, can be forgiven by others, can be forgiven by you. And then not only does he pay for those sins, but because he lived that perfectly unselfish life, because he displayed the strength of God in all of his life on earth, because he rose from the dead on the third day, 
Jesus offers that very life to us. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, we no longer have to live in stupidity and selfishness. And selfishness. But we can live transformed lives. We can be changed. We can repent. We can live differently. And we can live the life that Paul demonstrates here. The life that says in power, God has stood by. God has promised that we will not be harmed. But we must listen to him. We must find our strength in him. And where do we find our strength? We find that strength in hearing his word. We find that strength in reading it for ourselves. We find that strength in our prayers. We find that strength in our fellowship. But one of the things here, we see that we find that strength in his food. Verse 34, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. And likewise, each Sunday when we gather, we too have the privilege of bread that he gives us. And we break it and we give thanks. For it is the very body and blood of Jesus for us. That we can feed on him and be strengthened by him as we eat with him and with one another. Would you pray with me before we share the feast? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love that you have given to us. We thank you for your power and strength that overcomes even our stupidity and selfishness as it overcomes all the storms that we see in life. Would you feed us now with the body and blood of your son, Jesus, that you may strengthen us to walk in repentance, to walk in obedience to you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from Resurrection Community Church. To learn more about our church and how you can connect with God and others, please visit resurrectionvb.org.